the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The problem with the Pharisees wasn't that they practiced these deeds. They were right to practice them, but rather that they practiced these disciplines, these, these deeds, for the wrong reasons. They did it for the wrong reasons. In other words, though they practiced what the Bible taught in giving and in praying and fasting, they practiced them with the wrong motivation. They observed them not because they were interested in pleasing God, not because they wanted God's approval, not because they desired to honor Him, but because they wanted others to applaud them. They wanted to give the appearance that they were righteous, and Jesus condemns that. Affirmation is a wonderful thing. I think we all love it, even if we blush. And we do well when we pat someone on the back for a job well done. A little group celebration in the end zone isn't a bad thing at all. But if our goal in life is more to get public recognition than a well done from Jesus, well, we shortchange ourselves and disappoint our Lord. Hi, welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're studying the Sermon on the Mount, and today we shift gears just a bit as we move from chapter 5 to chapter 6 of the book of Matthew, which deals with our motives for giving. Years ago, my wife and I were visiting a church in another country where they were having their annual harvest celebration, as they called it. Part of the service involved the members bringing forward their annual gifts for this service, which the pastor would then announce to everyone present. It made me feel very uncomfortable. Listen as Pastor Steve gives the scriptural basis for my discomfort. story is told of a pastor of a local church who came up with a rather unique way to stimulate his congregation in their financial giving. He made little wooden boxes and, and put them at each door in the church, but these were no ordinary boxes. These were unique boxes. He designed the boxes so that if you dropped in a dollar or more, the box made a noise. If you put in a half dollar, a bell rang. If you put in a quarter, a whistle blew. Put in a dime, a siren went off, a nickel, and a shot sounded. And if you gave nothing, well, the box took your picture. <laughs> now, when it comes to offering, some church leaders have been known to resort to all, all sorts of gimmicks and, and techniques in order to try to increase their, their people's giving, everything from pleading and more pleading to guilt to passing the collection plate around twice to even the, uh, the famous big red thermometer at the front of the church that measures the, uh, the distance needed to attain the stewardship goal, all, all kinds of gimmicks. But it's interesting that when Jesus taught about giving in the Sermon on the Mount, his emphasis was not on stimulating his disciples to give, but rather he focused on the motivation, the reasons why they gave what they gave. So let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. 
as we have been studying the Gospel of Matthew and find ourselves now entrenched in, in the Sermon on the Mount, and we have gotten to a new chapter, but really a continuation of a similar theme. But chapter 6, and I want to read to you verses 1 through 4. Jesus said, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now, with these words, we begin a new chapter in our study of the Sermon on the Mount. But as I said, it's really simply a continuation of the same message that Jesus began to unfold in chapter 5. The entire sermon, the entire Sermon on the Mount revolves around the central thought that citizens of the kingdom, those who follow Christ as, as Lord and Savior, Master, King, citizens of the kingdom, are different from unbelievers. We're we're different, he'll tell us in the sermon, from religious hypocrites. We're also different from pagan secularists. We're different in the sense that that our desire is to live a, a life that is truly righteous, truly righteous. We are different in our character because God has transformed us at the new birth. He's given us a new nature. He's transformed us inwardly. And so that's why the sermon starts out with the Beatitudes, the blesseds. There are no commands in that sermon or or that aspect of the sermon. They're just statements. This is the way believers are. This is the way they are in their character. They are truly righteous because they have been transformed inwardly by the grace of God. But then the Lord moves on, specifically starting in verse 21 of chapter 5, telling us that our righteousness, the way we behave, our conduct must be different from the religious Pharisees, from the scribes and the Pharisees, who really were not righteous at all. They were self-righteous. And that's why Jesus begins to give a contrast. He gives a contrast of six moral laws. And the contrast is between between the way the Pharisees interpreted these laws and the way they they were really meant to be, the way the Old Testament intended them to be understood and the way Jesus said, I affirm that this is the meaning. And the reason he did that is to say that that your conduct will always follow what you believe. So you must believe the truth. And here's what God's moral laws are really all, all about. They deal with the heart as much as they deal with the outward expression of the heart. And so when you put this together, you see that what the Lord is talking about is that his followers are different in character, but they're different in conduct. And our conduct follows, righteous conduct follows an understanding of God's moral laws. Citizens of the kingdom are different. We are distinct. And so that's what chapter 5 is really about, the heart of chapter 5. But now as we move into chapter 6, though Jesus continues to talk about true righteousness, his emphasis changes. Now watch this. Instead of talking about the Pharisees' teaching, which that's what he's been doing, talking about their teaching, and why we must not follow their interpretation or really misinterpretation of God's moral laws, Jesus now begins to talk about the Pharisees, not their teaching, but their religious deeds, what they did, their their religious observances. But now watch this. This is different. Instead of telling us, as we would expect him to, to refrain from doing what they did, Jesus surprisingly instructs us to do exactly what the Pharisees did 
to practice the deeds that the Pharisees did. And he highlights three of these religious deeds. Charitable giving, praying, and fasting. You can see this in verse 2, verse 5, verse 16. See, not everything the Pharisees did was wrong. They were right to give. They were right to pray. They were right to fast. They were right in doing that. These are spiritual disciplines taught and commanded in Scripture. We're all to obey these these truths. But the problem with the Pharisees wasn't that they practiced these deeds. They were right to practice them, but rather that they practiced these disciplines, these, these deeds, for the wrong reasons. They did it for the wrong reasons. In other words, though they practiced what the Bible taught in giving and in praying and fasting, they practiced them with the wrong motivation. They observed them not because they were interested in pleasing God, not because they wanted God's approval, not because they desired to honor him, but because they wanted others to applaud them. They wanted to give the appearance that they were righteous, and Jesus condemns that. That's not the way that Jesus wants his followers to obey God's word. That's not obedience to God's word. And so as he opens chapter 6, he opens it by issuing a very strong, general warning to all of us as believers not to be like the Pharisees by doing the right deeds but having the wrong motives behind these deeds. Notice verse 1. This is the broad, general warning. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Now, the Lord starts off by telling us to beware, to beware, which means essentially to watch out for something. Watch out for something. What what should we watch out for? The thing he's telling us to watch out for is the practice of the Pharisees who observed many religious activities taught in Scripture, but they did it, Jesus tells us, in order to be noticed by men. Now, that word noticed or to be noticed is very interesting. It literally means to look at, to look at. But it is related to our English word theater, theater. Now, why is that interesting? Because the Lord is warning us against doing religious activities as one would do a theatrical production, a show in order to get people applauding. But that's exactly what the Pharisees were all about. They were guilty of that. They were actors upon a stage giving a religious performance. That's why they did this. And that's why we read folks throughout the New Testament, and and in particular in chapter 6, that Jesus calls these men, the scribes and the Pharisees, he calls them hypocrites. What is a hypocrite? Hypocrite, literally, in, in the ancient Greek world, was an actor who had a mask. He held a mask up. The mask indicated what role he was he was playing. An actor is someone who puts on a show. He plays a role in a, in, in a play, in a, in a theater. His mask hides the real person because in what he is in public on the stage, that's not the way he is in private, in his private life when no one is, is looking. But that's exactly what the Pharisees were like. They were religious actors playing a role that really wasn't them. They were guilty of what one Bible teacher called theatrical righteousness. They pretended to be righteous so that people would give them a standing ovation, but they weren't righteous at all. They just portrayed righteous men. And what the Lord is saying to to those of us who are his followers, that we need to be careful that in obeying God, we don't fall into the same sin of the Pharisees, doing the right deeds, doing deeds of righteousness for the ovation of the crowd. Now, 
a valid question for us to ask at this point is, why is it such a terrible thing to do? Why is, why is hypocrisy so terrible? What's wrong with a little role-playing in order to impress other people? What's the big deal about that? What harm is there in getting the praise of men? Well, not only does it rob God of his glory because we are not to do things to show off ourselves, because the Christian life is about glorifying him, but it is actually, if you are into the Christian life and doing deeds of righteousness for for the praise of others, it is actually detrimental to your spiritual health and spiritual life. Notice what Jesus said in verse 1. He said, if you do this, he said at the end of verse 1, otherwise, if this is what what you're in it for, the applause of men, otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Jesus said that if you do righteous acts only for man's recognition, then that's all the reward you're going to get. You did it for the applause of men. You got the applause of men. That's it. God will not reward you for this kind of behavior. If your goal was to get man's praise, then you got the reward that you sought. There's no more reward for you in glory. So it's a very dangerous thing. It's a very serious issue. Now, I want us to consider, before we really get into the text, I want us to consider something very important at this point, because there are some people who have read this and said there's a contradiction in the Bible, that Jesus is speaking out of both sides of his mouth. Because notice, go back, if you will, to chapter 5, verse 16. Let me show you what I mean. Because if you didn't think about it now, at some point you're probably going to think about this. So I want to clarify this. Verse 16, Jesus said, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, in this verse, Jesus specifically commands us to do good works before men in order that uh, we may be seen. These good works may be seen by them. That's what he said. But now, in chapter 6, verse 1, he tells us not to practice our righteousness before men in order to be noticed by them. So which is it? Should we practice our righteousness or shouldn't we practice our righteousness? That's why I say some have read this and said, well, there's a contradiction in the Bible. Jesus doesn't know what he's saying. The truth is Jesus knows exactly what he's saying. There is no contradiction. Each of these statements actually address the very same thing, the motivation of our hearts. They're just coming at it from different angles. Let me explain. Both statements are speaking about both our good works and the motivation behind doing those works. In chapter 5, Jesus tells us to do our good works, notice, so that God may be glorified. That's the motivation. Look at it again. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. And what's the purpose of this? To glorify your Father who is in heaven. So that's chapter 5, verse 16. That's our motivation for godly behavior, so that we show God off. That's what it means to glorify him. So you put him on display, you show him off, so that others would would see God in light of your behavior. But in chapter 6, he comes at this very same truth from the opposite direction by telling us that, that we need to be careful that in doing our good works, we make sure that our motivation is not to show ourselves off not to glorify ourselves. In other words, watch this, because of our tendency, because our tendency is to be cowardly and we care too much about what others think about our faith, Jesus said in chapter 5, make sure that you let your light shine before men. In other words, don't be afraid to show your faith 
by your good deeds. Don't hide it. Don't hide your faith. Get it out there so that others can see that, that God has transformed your life. And they'll glorify him, glorify the Lord. And it's also true that because our tendency is to be proud and egotistical, Jesus said, but beware, beware of practicing your righteousness before men in order to gain their applause. Both are true. Both statements are talking about motivation. One Bible teacher, I think, summed this up perfectly. He said, we are to show our good works when we are tempted to hide. And we are to hide our good works when we are tempted to show. Which is simply another way of saying that we are always to be mindful of the reasons and motivations that drive our actions. Always to glorify God, not to glorify ourselves. Now, this whole question of motivation is extremely important for believers. More important than some of us realize. Though the Bible certainly emphasizes motives. It has largely been ignored by many in evangelical, fundamentalist-type conservative churches. Those who minimize motivation are very susceptible to falling into the legalism that characterized the Pharisees. See, there are some believers who never ask themselves the question of, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I doing this? And the reason for this is that they, they have been taught, often by their pastors and other church leaders, maybe Sunday school teachers, that there are certain standards of behavior that born-again believers are expected to live by. And those who live by these standards are considered spiritual. And if you don't live by these standards, everybody in the church is going to know you're unspiritual. So there's this pressure. If you're raised with that type of orientation, there's this pressure to make sure that you never deviate from those standards, because you wouldn't want people to think that you're, that you're not a good little Christian. And so they do what they've been told is expected of them without ever considering the motives behind their behavior. And without godly motives, they will, we all would, succumb to the error of the Pharisees. You may be doing all the right activities, but for the wrong reasons to be noticed and approved by others. And though others may be very impressed with your behavior, and think that you are just so wonderful, Jesus isn't pleased. It's not righteous behavior because you're doing it for the wrong reasons. He isn't pleased because the Lord looks on the hearts and sees what drives us. He sees what nobody else sees. You can fake out other people, but you can't fake out him because he looks upon our hearts to see what drives us, what motivates us, what's the purpose behind our behavior. And regardless of what our circle of friends may think about us and our testimony, the Lord sees our hearts, and condemns the hypocrisy of those who appear to be righteous on the outside, but on the inside they are really wicked and, and extremely self-centered. In fact, the Lord said to the Pharisees in Matthew fifteen eight, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. There is no heart. There is no heart. There is no true submission to the word of God. There is no desire to please the Lord. It's, it's all about looking good. Now, folks, please, we need to understand that, that none of us are immune from falling into this type of subtle evil. Even the strongest of Christians need to guard their hearts from succumbing to the temptation to show off by our behavior. We're all tempted in that area. We all have those thoughts that go through us, but, but we need to just let them go through us and not stick. 
We need to constantly ask ourselves, what motivates us when we, when we carry out the commands of, of Scripture? Why am I doing this? Is it because I want to please God? I want him to be glorified and, and honored. Or is it because we want others to think well of us? And nowhere is this temptation stronger than in the area of financial giving. Because money can easily become a very showy way of impressing others with our righteousness. And so having already given us the broad general principle in verse 1, the broad principle that makes sure that when you do a righteous deed, you do it not for the praise and glory of man. Jesus now takes the next few verses to illustrate how this truth applies to the area of giving, giving money or material goods. He will then address the area of prayer, public praying, as well as fasting. And he does this with giving by telling us two key truths about righteous giving. The first key truth is this. We are not to give for the applause of men. We are not to give for the applause of men. Let's begin by looking at verse 2. So when you give, meaning you in contrast to the hypocrites, when you give to the poor, do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. Now, the first thing we need to, to know about this statement is the kind of giving that Jesus is referring to. It's, it's not just giving in general. It's, it's giving called alms, A-L-M-S, or almsgiving. In fact, it's probably translated that way in some of your versions. But uh, basically, alms or almsgiving meant charitable giving, merciful giving, giving to those who are poor, those who are needy. It's a gift of, of mercy. Now, in many evangelical circles, we, we hardly hear anything about giving to the poor, perhaps because so many pastors are, are busy trying to raise funds for their own churches to grow that they neglect what the Bible has to say about giving to the poor. But the Bible has a lot to say about it, much to say about merciful giving, because in the ancient world, Poverty was a major problem. Always poor people. In fact, Jesus said, the poor you always have with you. That's true. So the Bible from cover to cover speaks about this. The Old Testament law constantly spoke about this, about giving to the poor. Leviticus 25, verse 35, especially Deuteronomy 15, starting at verse 7 and going all the way to verse 14, spoke about, about being merciful and giving to the poor and not hardening your heart. Proverbs, the, the wisdom books of which Proverbs is, is very much one, constantly addresses the issue of, of those in poverty and where to, where to give to them. The prophets spoke about this, both the minor and the major prophets, meaning the, the smaller Old Testament prophetic books, minor books, minor prophets, and the larger ones. They all speak about that, about not to neglect the poor. Every single prophet addresses that. And because ministering to the poor is an act of righteousness in every age, not just the Old Testament era, the New Testament is also filled with references about giving to those in need. You may not realize this, but the Bible tells us in John 13, 29, that Jesus and his disciples had a money bag they carried with them from which they gave to the poor. They had a money bag. It's a sad thing that Judas was the treasurer, but they had a money bag. And they ministered to the poor. The Lord was thinking about that. The Old Testament is packed with statements advocating for the poor. And as we move on in this message from the Sermon on the Mount, we'll see that that compassion is well demonstrated in the New Testament as well. Thanks for tuning in today to Verse by Verse. 
Our instructor is Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Find out more about Lakeside at www.lakesidechapel.com or call 727-441-1714. Today's program is the first part of a two-part message. If you want to have the entire message on one audio CD, that's also the number to call. Ask for message 4134, The Righteous Way to Give. I'll give you that phone number again in just a moment. As I always like to remind you, all of our previous broadcasts, and even this one, are freely available on the Message Archive page at versebyverseradio.org. You can stream or download anything you want to hear or sign up for our free podcasting service. If the Lord is blessing you through these radio Bible classes and you'd like to help support Verse by Verse, we try to make that easy as well. You can give securely online through our giving page at versebyverseradio.org or call Lakeside at 727-441-1714. I'm Jerry Peterson. I mentioned earlier that both the Old and New Testaments have a lot to say about the poor. But it's interesting that Jesus doesn't tell us to give. That's because he assumes that we will give. It's natural that someone transformed by his grace will share his compassion for the poor. The problem comes when hypocrites act like Christians by giving, but they only give in order to impress people rather than as a natural result of a transformed life. Pastor Steve will explain further on the next verse by verse as he concludes this series of lessons on the Sermon on the Mount. here to give you strength between three-star general michael j flynn head of the pentagon intelligence agency knew all the government's dirty secrets he was one of the most respected generals in the military flynn knew what the intel world had been up to he understood its funding he ordered the first audit of the use of contractors this set off alarm bells the explosive new documentary flynn Deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver for the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.